Well, good morning. We've been talking about the apostles, and we're going to continue that study this morning. Brother Dusty introduced us to the Apostle Paul last week. On the road to Damascus, he was uh, converted, and Brother Dusty did a great job talking about that. If you weren't here last Sunday, we'll touch a tiny, tiny bit on that, but not spend a whole lot of time. I would encourage you to go back and listen uh, uh, online to the sermon last Sunday. That will give you some a whole lot deeper understanding of the conversion and um, that uh, pivotal day from Saul to Apostle Paul that happened on the road to Damascus. We've been, uh, we've been challenged, or I've been challenged, to talk to you about the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. And I've entitled the lesson this morning, The Footsteps of Paul and His Evangelistic Journeys. We're going to talk a little bit about them, but um, beyond just some history about them, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what I think motivated Paul to do these amaz- this amazing evangelistic work that he did, and then maybe how that should and could motivate us here in Denton. So first of all, let's run real quickly through some of the stuff. Maybe there's some new stuff here that Brother Dusty introduced us to last week. First of all, Paul was born around 5 to 8 A.D., and as Dusty told us last week, he was probably three or four years younger than Jesus. Jesus was probably born in 1 or 2 A.D., if not 0 A.D. Scholars, historians argue about that timing, but the Apostle Paul was born probably three, four years later, maybe five, than uh, Jesus, so he's a little bit younger He was born in Tarsus, which is a city of Sicilia, and we'll see that on a map in a minute. As Dusty said, he became a Roman citizen. He was also fluent in uh, Greek, both in writing and speaking the Greek language. He grew up in Jerusalem, and he was of the Pharisee sect, and as Brother Dusty talked to us last week, he was uh, taught or studied at the feet of Gamaliel. So he also was a tent maker by trade. So if and when he needed money, he would join himself to a tent maker and they would make tents for a living and he'd get paid for that. He met Jesus, as Dusty told us last week, on the road to Damascus. And that was about A.D. 37, give or take a year or two. And it's been a long time ago and some of the historians argue about that. After he was converted, according to Galatians 1, 17 to 18, he spent about three years in Arabia before he went down and joined himself to the, uh, to the church and the apostles there in Jerusalem and began to really uh, preach the gospel and work um, in the work. He was imprisoned four times in Jerusalem in A.D. 58, in Caesarea in A.D. 58 to 60, in Rome in 62 to 63, and then again in Rome in 65 to 67. And he um, met his death, according to historians, at the, uh, uh, by Nero in A.D. 68. Nero committed suicide in the spring of A.D. 68. If he could have just outlasted him maybe another six or eight months, maybe he would have uh, not been executed there in the prison, but he ultimately was uh, executed by uh, Nero, according to the historians, in A.D. 67. So when I got to thinking about these missionary journeys, I said, okay, how to, how to present it. There's a lot of stuff. And so I built a little table, and we're going to kind of walk through that table this morning, and some maps, and then we're, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the journeys themselves. And then we're going to talk about um, 
maybe what made the Apostle Paul tick a little bit, what made him attempt these massive undertakings because they were massive in that day. They were massive in that day. So his first missionary journey was about 1,581 miles, and we're talking about sailing and walking most of those miles. That happens in Acts 13, verse 4, through about Acts 15 and 35. It happened in A.D. 46 to 49. During that time, he did not write any of the epistles that he ultimately wrote, and he wrote a lot of the New Testament. And a lot of times he took a partner with him on these missionary journeys, and on this journey he took Barnabas. So this is the route that he took. He left Antioch, and he sailed over to Cyprus and to a couple, in a couple of ports, and then up into Pamphylia, and then to Antioch, Pisidia, then down to Iconia and Lystra and Derbe, and came back the same way to another port in Pamphylia, and over and sailed back to Antioch, so some 1,581 miles. <clears throat> which in the day and time that he's doing that, those are, that's, that's, a, that's a big trip. That's, very, that's not like you drive down to Galveston and you get on a pleasure boat and you go sailing through the, the Caribbean for 1,500 miles and you come back and drive home. This is an altogether ex- different experience for the Apostle Paul. The second trip, now we're getting real ambitious, nearly twice as many miles, 3,050 miles Happens from Acts 15 to about Acts 18, A.D. 50 to 52. And he writes First and Second Thessalonians and Galatians while he's on this trip. And he takes Silas with him. And this is the uh, trip geography. Leaves Antioch and, and uh, walks through or moves through Sicilia, which is his home is here in Tarsus. That's where he was born through Derby, goes back to Lystra and Iconia and Antioch and Presidia, then across Asia to Troas and then into Macedonia and back down through uh, Athens and over to Ephesus and then sails back to Tyre, spends some time in southern Syria, back to Jerusalem, back to Antioch. 3,050 grueling miles in that day and time. A lot of dirt, a lot of sand, a lot of traveling, a lot of ship, a lot of traveling on the boat. Third journey, a little bit more aggressive, 3,300 miles this time, from Acts 18 to Acts 21, A.D. 53 to 58. He writes First and Second Corinthians and Romans on this trip, and Luke is with him partially on this trip. Very similar roadmap to the second missionary journey. <clears throat> Goes through some of these same cities and back, and he ends up this time, though, in the city of Jerusalem, not in Antioch. And in Jerusalem's where he gets in a little bit of trouble, which leads us to his fourth missionary journey, 2,300 miles from Acts 27 to 28, AD 60 to 63. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon are written, and nobody goes with him on this one because this is a dead-end missionary trip to be imprisoned in Rome. So nobody wants to make that journey <laughs> with him at his side. So he goes through, uh, uh, doesn't stop at Cyprus this time, sails over to Crete, is ultimately shipwrecked at Malta, gets back to Sicily and up, and finally the, uh, <clears throat> the trip ends um, in Rome in about 65 where he's uh, imprisoned. So if you follow the story, he basically here, he's on trial by the Jews, and he calls on the fact that he's a Roman citizen. 
And so they have no choice then but to ship him off to Rome to be judged by the Roman government because he tells them he's a Roman citizen. So that's, in essence, Paul's missionary journeys. Now, last week when Brother Dusty introduced us uh, to Saul, who became the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, he read a scripture for us. And the scripture said in Acts 19 and 15 that the purpose for Paul, at least as the Lord saw it, he's talking to Ananias, and Ananias is asking, hey, I've heard of this guy, I don't want to go, blah, blah, blah. And the Lord says, hey, I've got a reason that we are going to bring Saul, eventually the Apostle Paul, into the church. There's three reasons. He's going to preach to the Gentiles, he's going to preach to governors and kings, and he's going to preach to the Jews. So that's his purpose. So now think back to the missionary journeys. Think back to what you know of Acts and say, did he accomplish those, those three things? Because that's what the Lord set out for Paul to do. He told Ananias, that's what Paul's going to do for us in this New Testament church. Well, if you think about that for a minute, he spoke to Jewish rulers in Acts 22, Felix in 24, Festus in 25, Agrippa in Acts 25, and possibly even Nero in Acts 25 as well. He speaks to Agrippa to the point that Agrippa says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So he definitely, and this is just what we have a record of, governors and kings that he talked to. So I put a check mark in that box. Think about the Gentiles. We just looked through that map, all those places he went, all those churches, and I know Ephesus is up there twice. Um, All those places, all those churches that he went to, I, I, I preached this sermon twice this morning and promised myself I'd take that second one out of there, and I never did. So uh, Ephesus, he went to, he did go to Ephesus more than once, so maybe it can be up there twice. Ephesus, Corinth, Colossae, Philippi, Thessalonica, Galatia, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Heropolis, all those Gentile nations, or church, I mean uh, towns, places that he went Preaching the gospel, setting up churches. I put a checkbox in. He went to the Gentiles. So what about the children of Israel? We find this statement in uh, Acts 17. On the Sabbath, Paul went into the synagogue, as was his custom. If you just take that out of context, you could think, well, maybe Paul's playing both sides of the fence. Maybe he's worshiping with the Jews on Saturday and the Christians on Sunday. But if you look at the rest of that verse, it says, now when they had passed through and Oh, I knew I was going to tongue tie on that. Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he worshipped with the Jews? No. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So think back to um, the eunuch on the road, right? And Philip joining himself to the eunuch. What did he say? What did he ask that unit? He said, you're, you're reading these Old Testament scriptures. Do you understand what they say? And he says, how could I unless some men tell me? He joins himself and he says he started at those scriptures and did what? Preached unto him Jesus. Well, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was doing. He was going into those synagogues on Saturday, reasoning with them out of the Old Testament scriptures about the prophecy and the foretelling of this Jesus that had come and trying to convert them. So he went to the Jews. In fact, later on in in, uh, Romans, in chapter 9, we're going to talk a little bit about Romans in a minute. But in Romans chapter 9, we have this. 
says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You got to, that's right there, man. That's Paul saying, I love my brothers and sisters, my Jewish friends so much that I'd almost sacrifice myself. Maybe almost is even in that. I would sacrifice myself if I thought the Jewish nation could be saved. I love them. They're dear to me. There's a great anguish in my heart for my kinsmen. There's no doubt that Paul was going to these Jews and trying to convert them. So when you think about Paul and you think about all the places he went and you think about the journeys that he went on and that desire to teach other people, to coach other people, to bring them to the gospel, to help them be better Christians, to help strengthen them, maybe like these folks right here. Brother Eddie shared some pictures with me this morning. Brother Michael, our evangelist, is on an evangelistic trip to Nigeria. There's uh, one of the churches there with the kids. You see Michael in the front. It's not very, not, there's Michael right there. There's all the little kids. There's Brother Monk in the back. I can't really make out anybody else. That might be one of our other friends way back in the back there. But the church, there's Michael with one of the little kids there. Looks like a little girl probably. There's a new roof. You know, we paid and we've donated money to the work there so they can put roofs on these churches. There's one of the men standing up and teaching there in Nigeria. There's a reason, and we're going to talk about this as we get into the book of Romans. <clears throat> but there's a reason that people go to and do these things. There's a reason for that sacrifice. And Paul makes it very clear what his reason is in Romans chapter 1. So we're going to look through Romans chapter 1 real quick. We're going to study about the first 17 verses. You're welcome to turn over there. It will be up on the board. But Paul addresses the Romans, and I would tell you that it's equally applicable to the Dentonites or Dentonians or whatever it is that we'd be called. That the things that he tells these Roman brothers and sisters gives you an insight into his heart, his desire, his motivation. So let's start with the introduction. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received a grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. So just look at some things um, there. First of all, notice that he talked about the trilogy. He believed in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. He names all three of them in the scripture there. 
Second of all, he talks about the resurrection of the dead. And he said that's where the power comes. That's where the Spirit gives the powers through this resurrection. He says this is not a new thing, and this is what he was reasoning in the synagogues about. It says it's been talked about by the prophets in the Scriptures. And these holy scriptures he's talking about there is the Old Testament. We didn't ha- they didn't have the canonized New Testament as Paul's walking around yet. He's talking about the, the Old Testament holy scriptures. He said it's been promised. This is not a new thing. And he says it's for the obedience to the faith among all nations. This is not a black or a white thing or a brown thing or a Jewish thing or a Gentile thing. This is for everybody. Everybody. All nations. And finally, he used these word, this word called, which means moved to action, not just ringy-dingy, how are you doing? It's not that type of call. This called means you are motivated and moved to do something. Now, why, I ask myself, why the long introduction? Because if you compare this introduction to any other letters that he wrote, you go to Galatians or Ephesians or Thessalonians or uh, Corinthians, one or two short verses, hi, Paul... Blah, 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 called to be a blah, 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 greetings. So why this long dissertation, seven verses to the Romans, introducing the Trinity, introducing the resurrection, introducing all of this stuff? Well, that's why I think this is applicable to us today. You see, he'd never been to Rome. He's never been to Denton. And so through his introduction, his first thing is to say, hey, we're on the same page from a religious perspective. He'd never been there He'd also written to the Corinthians and he talked to them about this concept of angels of light. These people that come in pretending to be preachers and teachers that are teaching the wrong things. And he said, you need to judge them. So he's giving them the information so that they can judge him. Here's what I believe. And I believe that to be in complete unity and continuity with what you believe here in Rome. So accept what I'm about to write to you. Paul um, shows the strong sense of calling. The word uh, called was underlined twice in the unity and the continuity. And he tells them, here's all the things that we share that are in common. So receive me. What I'm about to write you, write to you is important. And what I'm telling you is we believe the same things. We're joined at the hip as far as our faith is concerned. So then in the next few verses, he talks about his plans and his prayers for them. In verses 8 through 13, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I might impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles." So he tells them, man, I love you guys. I've heard about you. I've been praying for you. I'm longing to come to see you. He says, for you all, without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. I long to see you, that I may be encouraged together with you. I oft plan to come unto you. 
He says, brothers and sisters, I've, I've heard all about you. I love you. I want to come visit with you. I want to be encouraged by you. Hopefully you can be encouraged by me. I want to come and be a part of your group there in Rome. He shows his deep love and his deep concern for his saints there at Rome. I have an idea if Paul wrote a letter to us, he would do the same. He would say, man, I love you guys. I've heard things about you. You guys are doing a good work. I want to come and talk to you. I want to come and be a part of your church. And then this um, this last part, I think, is uh, the best part of his message. 14 to 17 says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, that is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So he says, hey, we believe the same things, um, we worship the same way, I love you, I've wanted to come to you. And then he said, here's the reason, here's the motivation behind it all. Paul had a consuming passion for the gospel of Christ. He believed in the gospel. He trusted in the gospel. He loved the gospel. No, no, other, no other reason would he travel 10,000 miles in ancient times preaching that gospel everywhere he went to every person he met. He loved the gospel. He says he's ready to preach the gospel. It's the second thing I want you to notice. It's his passion. He says, I'm ready to preach it. Are we ready to preach it? Think about that as a letter to us, right? Are we ready to preach it? Do we place the gospel at that high a level? Because the last thing I want you to consider this morning is this phrase, I am a debtor. Says he's a debtor to both the Greeks and the barbarians. Why does he owe them anything? Why, why is he a debtor to the barbarians? It's what Dusty talked about. It's that day on the road to Damascus where he went from killing Christians to being one. You see, he had received something that he couldn't hold in. He owed it to everybody. He was a debtor to the whole world to preach that gospel that changed his life. Have you ever had a pivot point in your life where you went from doing one thing to doing another, from changing your behaviors? I've had them. I was visiting a man this week, visiting a company this week. Been in Great Falls, Montana. We were interviewing his employees. We interviewed about seven or eight of his employees, and then our group creates a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. We're introducing his employee, interviewing his employees, and they said there was a change in this man. Some of them couldn't, most of them couldn't put their point on what it was. But he'd gone from being a real kind of ruthless leader to being a guy that gave back all the time, gave to his employees, gave to, and I'd love to tell you it was because he had a road to Damascus incident, but it wasn't a Christian reason. He just changed his mind. They told a story back in the old days of um, he had a pair of boots that he kept out in the shop, and he put his initials in the boots. He goes out to the shop. Some fellow's washing trucks or doing something in the shop, and he looks at his boots, and he goes, 
He's been missing his boots for about a week. He looked down and he goes, man, I used to have a pair of boots just like those. And the old boy said, oh, really? Yeah, yeah I did. He said, uh, those, are you sure those aren't my boots? And the guy said, no, they're not your boots. And he goes, man, they sure look my, like my boots. Are you sure? You know, I had them over here in the, in the, on the shelf. And four times he said, no, they're not your boots. And he said, well, an interesting thing. I wrote my initials in my boots. Do you mind taking them off? And he took them off and his initials were in the, in the boots. So he sent the guy pack and fired him on the spot. Said, go down the corner, catch a bus. He was so upset about that. As the guy was walking off, he noticed that the guy had on one of his company shirts. He ran down and said, give me back my shirt too. Sent the guy off, fired with nothing on but his pair of socks and his blue jeans. That's pretty rough. <laughs> I mean, I've fired some people, but I don't take their clothes. <laughs> Typically, never. But then they said, now he... You know, best 401k match, great benefits, loves, and what was the difference? Well, another terrible thing, he had uh, he got at odds with his brother. He was a 49% owner. His brother was 51%. They got at odds with each other, and his, brother's, his brother, who owned more of the company, said, well, why don't you just buy me out? He said, okay, I will. His brother didn't think he would. He said, okay, I will. So he goes to the bank and borrows millions of dollars and buys his brother out of the business. But through that whole thing, lost his brother. They didn't have a relationship for about five years. It's been mended up now. But they said that point with his brother, when he lost his family, when he lost what was his best friend, was kind of the pivot point that changed him to doing something different. So we all have pivot points. I had a mutiny in the company where I lost several key people 10 years ago. It's a pivot point for me. I changed the way I viewed people at least from a business perspective. We've all got pivot points. Most of us have a pivot point of we're not a Christian or a Christian. Might not have been as dramatic as the Apostle Paul. We might not have been killing Christians before, and now we are a Christian. Might not have been that dramatic. A lot of us were raised in the church, and so, you know, that, that pivot point's not as sharp. We were good kids and raised in good families, and we just decided that, hey, we're accountable to Jesus and God for our things we do and not necessarily just a mom and dad anymore, so I need to make a change. I've done things I shouldn't have done, whatever. And that pivot point's a little smoother for us. But all of us have pivot points in our life. And Paul had a very dramatic one. And he said, because of that, I owe the world something. Now, don't don't get me wrong. Our Our salvation is through grace. Unmerited favor, we don't deserve it, we can't earn it, we can't work for it. But set that aside to say, okay, now that I have it, am I the the only one I want to see in heaven when I get there? Or do I want to share it with people? Don't I have an obligation to tell people how they can be saved? It's been gifted to me. Don't I have an obligation to at least as Paul said, with my kinsmen according to the flesh, with, with my brothers and my sisters and my family. Does it, doesn't it mean that, does it mean that much to us? That we believe we're in, we have a debt to pay, and that is the proclamation of the gospel? That's what he's talking about when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation. So this was particularly poignant for me. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm, 
hoping I'm driving it home to you. I'm not trying to beat anybody down. I'm not trying to make anybody upset. I'm not trying to make anybody sad. But I am trying to help you to realize that, as Brother Truman said one time, we're not playing church here. This is real. This is real. This is people's lives for eternity that we're messing around with. And we have a debt no different than Paul, I'll just tell you. We have the same debt Paul had. We've been saved. We've been given that unmerited gift. And we have the same debt that Brother, that brother Paul had to share the gospel. He said with the Greeks and the barbarians, we have that same debt. <clears throat> so the footsteps of Paul. We started early. We're going to finish a little early. So that's good. The lesson of the morning is yours. Hopefully that got to you a little bit. Oh, it did to me. And it makes me think about where I spend my time, who I spend my time with, how I act at work, how I appear at work, the things I should be saying or doing differently in my life. And hopefully it was for you too. You see, because I believe the book of Romans could just as easily be the book of Dentonians or whatever, Dentonites. As he's talking there in Romans to those people that he'd never met, he's telling them the gospel, the importance of the gospel. He's, he's going to talk to them about how you're saved, the rest of Romans. We've studied it here in, over the, the course of a fall study. It's a great book. So the lesson of the morning is yours. If the church can help you, if you'd like to become a Christian, you'd like to start that walk, you'd like to accept that unmerited gift in favor of God and be baptized and become a Christian, Know that you'll need to be willing to help and to share that because it's an awesome, awesome gift that you'll be given. If you've uh, strayed away or if you have needs of prayers, anything we can do to help you, come have a seat on the front pew as we stand and sing.